What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode, a brand new year, a brand new season of Coco Chillin'. It's been a minute since I've been on the mic. I want to say the last episode I recorded was like beginning of December. And I hope you guys are enjoying the year thus far, wishing everybody blessings. And when I ended the season last year, I said that season two was going to be different and I wanted to switch it up and I wanted to have people on here to share their life stories and I wanted us to connect more and I wanted to show other walks of life and all of that. So with that being said, I am starting the first episode of the season with a guest. I had somebody who agreed to be on here and I want to... I want you to do the honors and introduce yourself. So tell us your name, please. Where you from? Um, Hello. How are you? How are you doing? Welcome. You doing? <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Chris, also known as Sin. And um, thank you for having me. Good. And where you from? Tell them where you're from. Like, you're from Queens, obviously, yes, but sure. Queens. specifically from? Born and raised in Corona, 99th Street. And that's like a popular block because yeah, very popular. I'm from Corona, born and raised in 99. I heard stories growing up and you guys were infamous. <laughs> yeah, infamous in a good way, I guess. Um, You know, that block was um a very tight knit family. Yeah. You know, regardless if we um wasn't related or not. And you have fond memories. Like, I want you to take us back. Like, I want you, you know. Before we start getting into the reason why I even have you on here, because obviously you have an intri- uh, interesting story and you have an interesting perspective on, you know, and that I want you on here to share with. But growing up, tell us, how was, how was life back then for you? Like before all the madness and all it of that. It was great. Growing up on, on 99, it was great. Um, especially during the summer, um, we played every type of game, man. Manhunt, um freeze tag we had water water balloon fights with different blocks a very beautiful environment so you remember was, like good fun memories growing up like. yeah definitely definitely good man my childhood was good you know until a certain age but um it was great man i had great friends growing up so who were you as a kid if you would have to describe yourself as a kid growing up like who who was chris Chris was a very quiet kid, I guess. Um, I didn't really say much, but I was friendly and respectful. Yeah. At least I try to be, right? And growing up, did you feel like there was at any point in the hood like that you felt that that changed, like or that it changed you? Like, when do you feel like that changed for you? Well, no one changed me. An event happened, and um. 1996 where my father passed away yeah so that was the turning point in my life basically and how did that make you feel like it obviously you were close to your father yeah right? i was very very close man that was um so how old are you when your, pa- your father passed that's 96 i was 13 wow. turning 14 that year yeah and um yeah that was um that was my best friend you know, um, I wasn't a bad kid at that time. Yeah. You know, um, I was really into sports. 
you know, he was my he was my baseball coach. He was my everything. You know, my idol. You name it. That's what he was. And um, his passing, you know, basically just threw me away from everything that I loved to do at that time. Yeah. What did you say to yourself? Like, if you, once that happened, is like something clicked in you that it was just like fuck it, or was it like? Yeah, basically, I had um. What I learned later on was some um, like total disregard for like human life. Yeah. You know, I didn't care about anyone else or their feelings. Yeah. I just wanted people to feel what I was feeling. Pain, you know, loneliness. So then what changed with your dynamic outside of that? Because like you said back then, it was manhunt. It was innocent. It was having fun in the block. Like that's what you remember, like beautiful memories. Then your father passes away and then you change your perspective in the sense that you're like, fuck it. So then what, how did your group change? Like what? Did you get into that change? Um, I won't say I started hanging out with the wrong people because uh, people that I started hanging out with more, I already knew them. Mm-hmm. They're from Corona. They're well-known. And um, they were, j- prior to my father passing, they were into, you know, different things that I wasn't, I wasn't into. I was aware of it mm-hmm. because it was, you know, in my neighborhood. But I wasn't into that. You know, my father kept me focused. Once his passing, um, you know, I gravitated towards that. I guess um, not looking for a father figure, but looking for, I guess, some sort of acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I was accepted in my house, my mother showed me love and everything and my siblings. But um, I just wanted something different. I didn't want to deal with anything that would remind me of my father. So basically sports would remind me of my father. So I just, I steered away from it. And um, I gravitated towards, you know, the gang life. Yeah. Now speak on that in the sense that you ended up being incarcerated, right? At what age? Because I was told that it was a young age. Yeah. Which that to me is crazy. Well, because I have I have a 15 year old son. So like that to me, like that, that hits me. So it's like you said things started changing for you internally. It wasn't even like you were hanging out with the wrong crowd because you knew these people already. Yeah, it was more like you decided to say, I want something different. I don't want to do sports. It reminds me of my dad. I'm not trying to do that right now. Basically. So um, I started, you know, involving myself in gangs and um. Certain um, events took place where, you know, people were hurt, families were destroyed, my community was destroyed also, um, and um, I ended up going to prison at the age of 15. Wow. Um, I was sentenced to a six to life plus... Three and a third to ten years, and another three and a third to ten years. So I had all those cases, and and a life bid. And you were like sentenced as an adult. Like, were they trying you as an adult? Were yeah, they-, they um, they they tried me as an adult, but they sentenced me under the juvenile guidelines. 
In other words, the max that it was able to give me was nine to life. And I copped out to six to life. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking about this, like taking us back to that day, or even if you're not, at least taking us back to like that day that you realize like you ain't going to be out in these streets anymore. Like, well, like you're 15, like taking yourself. (laughs) The 15 year old came out when they slapped the cuff on me. I was like, oh, wait a second. You know, now I want to go home. Now I want to play with my toys. Now I want to play with my friends. You know, my other friends, the ones that were still into sports. You know, I want to play manhunt. I want to, you know, I don't want to do the the gang-banging thing. Yeah, yeah. So right away, it switched. However, that was short-lived because, um, you know, in prison, you're either... You're either, you know, a sheep or a wolf. How was that? Like going in going in there, like your first days, like how does that Um My first days I still was um I was still naive. I was I was fifteen years old. I didn't think, you know, nothing of it. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm fifteen, you know, uh, I'm a minor, I'm gonna get a slap in the wrist and come home. Um but once I noticed that that wasn't going to happen, so I had to adjust to the life of the life inside there. So I tell people this all the time. Even when I went in front of the parole board four times, I would always tell them. Because they would ask me, well, you have numerous infractions. You're constantly in and out the, bo- the box. The box is, you know, solitary confinement. And um, why? Like, you want you want to go home, but you keep presenting, you keep showing that you're still a violent person. And I would tell them, you take a bunch of wild animals, from the biggest to the smallest, and you encage them in a small cage. How do you expect all of them to to get along with each other it's impossible and everybody's fighting with their own demons in there i'm assuming everybody has their own issues mm-hmm. everybody's stressed out i wasn't the only one mm-hmm. fighting a murder case i still got friends to this day that are still locked up a friend of mine just came home three months ago he ended up doing 21 years you know so you had to at an early age i had to grow up fast now, when you first got in there, though, did you feel like you did something wrong? Like, did that hit you in your head? Like, did, did that process, like... I I knew I did something wrong. Obviously, you know, I'm in there. I knew I did something wrong, of course. Did I understand the magnitude of my actions? No, not at all. So, it took years for so, me to understand what kind of damage I did. So vaguely, what was it that happened that got that got you in there? Um, well, like was it I just was, like beef, like between people? Yes, yeah, some of it was beef. Some of it, most of it, wasn't even my problem. You were just by association. Um, yeah, not only that, you know, I, I'm quick to defend other people. You so loyalty. Yeah. 
yeah so um in other words you know long story short i was i was sentenced to a murder in the second degree and um two attempted murders all three cases are separate none of them really coincide with each other you know they're all separate and did you know these people like that were that um, um, were affected by it no just the murder case yes yeah yeah i knew that individual and it was like a wrong place wrong time or no, it was something that it just was escalated that, and happened it was you know something that had to to be done in other words you know it's either that person or, or, or you know or me so it was like survival basically survival and then next thing you know you're handcuffed 15 yeah. years old yeah and then like that's why I, i'm trying to get it like okay you're 15 years old you you're you're realizing you're not coming home and since you already had that mentality, like, it, it was either going to be him or me. That's why I felt like, did it ever, like, hit you, like, remorse or anything like that at that point? Or at that point, it's just like... No. I'm remorse, coming. no. Yeah, that doesn't I was, hit you. I was so... I was too young. I was yeah. naive. I was still trying to portray a person that... That deep down inside, I really wasn't. Yeah. You know, I was, you know... You still had that, that image, like, that. Yeah, this I, is the... I had to portray it. I had to live it. I tell people all. Th- I tell people this all the time. I wish I could um. I could have gained all the ex- all that experience that I went through, all that knowledge that I gained while being in prison, without hurting anyone. Because not only did I, you know, not only a person's life was taken, and multiple people were hurt. In my other cases, mm-hmm. I destroyed families. There's people that, you know, they can't see their son, their brother. You got, you know, people that are walking around with scars on their body because of me. Yeah. So I, that part, I wish I could take back. You know, all the pain that I caused my community, the the families, like I said. You know. So when you're in there... Now we're gonna fast forward that you in there. What was your game plan? Like you seeing, like I, I try to I try to think to myself like you know, God forbid if I were to be in that situation, you gotta think to yourself like, am I really coming home? Like when it starts hitting you like you're not coming home. What was your course of action then? Like what did you? Because obviously you start peeping game how things maneuver in there. What was your game plan in there? Like what? My game plan was survive, to survive. I did anything and everything to survive in there. I didn't let nothing slide. You you did something to me, I make sure you pay for it. There was anything that like comes to mind? Like if you think about specifically when you think going back, any stories that come out to, to your head, like when you first got there? Well, my first fight was in the shower. And, you know, I'm new to the prison system, so I didn't really know much. So I was just scared. You know, I'm a 15-year-old kid. You know, you automatically start thinking like, oh, you're not trying to get raped. So I'm in the shower, and there's a guy that keeps looking at me. So I'm like, man, is this guy, you know, what is he looking at? And I just ended up swinging on him, and we started fighting. (laughs) So, yeah, that was my first experience 
as far as um with violence in prison. And were you scared at that point? Or were yeah, you already like I knew stuff? then that me fighting was more about survival. Yeah. It wasn't about just because I want to fight. No, I'm fighting because I need to survive. I need to try to make it home. But in that process, you know, you're still involved in gangs. And you just, it's constant non-fighting. Non-fighting, you know, especially when you're the minority. Yeah. You outnumber everywhere you go. So then you had to be part of a pack in there then. I didn't have to. You didn't have to? No. But do you choose to? Like, yeah, you I, felt I like... Yeah. You know, the only thing you have to do in life is die. That's it. You don't have to join a gang. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. I did it because I wanted to. So you didn't feel like that was like a course of protection for you? No. You know, nope. like I've heard, I've it, seen other interviews like where people feel like, okay, so I'm going to join this because they're going to watch my back or whatever the case may well, be. Well, you know, if that was the case, if I needed for protection, I wouldn't join the Crips. Oh, okay. So what, we were the minority. The minority? We, okay. Yeah. We're the minority. Everywhere we, you know, we went, we was a minority. So then why would you? Is it who you got along with? No, because I just didn't like how bloods were going around oppressing everybody. Okay, so it was like a So stand. I was like, you know what? I'm going to show them that, you know, <clears throat> that um, that there's going to be other people that's going to put up a resistance towards them, that's going to fight towards their oppression. Because they would go around, you know, bullying people. Taking people's shoes, whatever, whatever they can, food, you name it, they would do it. So that was like your stance that you took, like yeah. And of course, uh, my first three years, I had minimum half of the half of that inside solitary confinement, and most of it wasn't even my problem. I was just defending other people, and. Yeah, defending other people. And when you're in solitary confinement, like, what is it that keeps you sane? Because I couldn't imagine myself being, like, how long would they have you, like, by yourself with your own thoughts? Like, is that the point in time when you start, like... Yeah, you start, you know, you start thinking about your life and and what could happen. Like, the thought of me being in prison for the rest of my life it would really like sink in like, wow, you know, you'll be depressed. But if you're not mentally strong, the box will break you and you'll literally go crazy. Um, so you have to try to focus your energy on something else. So what I did was I was illiterate. I didn't really know how to read or write much, mm-hmm. you know, coming into prison. So I took the time to, you know, to learn. Mm-hmm. So I started reading more books, you know, Educating yourself in other ways. And how, what was like your other coping mechanisms? Like, as far as like, we didn't even speak about your family because I could only imagine. Working out. Working out. You know, work out, read books, and go to sleep. There's not much you could do in a, you know, let's just say six by nine when you're by yourself. Now, who was your support system while you were in there? My family, my mother, my sister. You know, uh, my, you know, my aunts and uncles, but as time went on, 
with that. You know, it fades. Yeah, it fades away, and it fades away fast too. How about like your boys and shit that that were with you out here, that you were getting yourself into trouble with and stuff like that. Were those people still around? Or were they with you? No, some were with me, but um, once you're in prison, you see who are your real friends. Yeah. Now, granted, at one point I was upset because you know some of my friends that grew up with me, my age bracket, mm-hmm. you know, they never went to visit me. So at one point I was you know upset at them. But, you know, as you get wiser and you start educating yourself, you realize that you cannot be upset at no one. You have to be upset at yourself. Yeah. No one out there put me in here. I put myself in prison. But did you ever feel like how important that is for people like to reach out, though? Yes, it is. But you won't. Like your regular society, regular society won't understand that. A yeah. person that's been in prison would understand how important it is to have a, a support system yeah. in the streets. You know, that's why I continue to visit some of my friends that are still incarcerated. You know, they call me, I send them money, packages, whatever they need. Because it's important to let them know that, you know what, you're not alone. You know, you have people that, that are out here that think about you. That's all, that's all we, 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 we need inside there. Some we, type of, like, hope, right? Yeah. Some type of, like, that light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. Did you ever feel, like, while you were in there, like, you were never, you were never getting out? Yeah, of course. Um, when you have a life sentence, you once you reach your minimum, you go in front of a parole board, mm-hmm. a parole panel. Now, it's illegal for them to technically keep hitting you, giving you 24 months. Because what they're doing is called resentencing you. Mm-hmm. The judge already sentenced me a minimum of six to, of six years. Max life. Now, my first two parole boards, I understood, you know, why they they denied me. I was still portraying violent acts. I was, you know, I was in solitary confinement going into my first parole board. So, you know, realistically, it didn't make sense for them to even think about or even consider releasing me if I'm still, you know, committing violent acts in prison. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm in prison for violence, and while in there, I'm still committing violent acts. So, I get I got denied four times. Um, I appealed the fourth one, got a reversal. I went back and and I got released. And at what point did you feel like you changed your your mindset? Like, at what age were you already like? You were uh, like, you know what? My mindset started changing, I would say, when I was 20. 20 years old. I started, I was going to college, and then I started realizing why I would do certain things. Communication is like, what, 85% body language, right? Yeah, Something like that? It is. 
So the other fifteen percent is vocal, verbal. Yeah, verbal. Um, I didn't really know how to express myself. So the only other way for me to express myself was through violence. So that's why in prison I was, I earned the, you know, uh, a reputation of being a stand-up duo of, you know, just by doing violent things. You know, I learned that instead of doing it, going that route, I could express myself in another way. Because you said, of course, you thought you weren't coming out, but you were still changing. So it's like, what motivated you to do that? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, what motivated you to stop being this violent person who was still like, because you're thinking you're never going out. You're never leaving. You would think that somebody's trying to change their ways because they're trying to get out. So at this point, if your mindset is that you didn't think you were getting out. You obviously started going to college, started reading books, started spending your time differently. Yeah. Well. So something had to have, like, switched within you to be like, you know what? I want you more. Because you get tired. Of doing the same shit. Of doing the same thing. Going from jail to jail to jail. In and out the box. You get tired of that. You know? And like I said, I, I still have a support group. In society, mm-hmm. which was my mother, my sisters, and I'm like, oh, I need to get home to them. I gotta. You still have. I gotta it. figure out a way to. To show the parole board that I'm a changed man, but you could try to fake it all you want. At the end of the day, you're only faking it to yourself. That makes you sense. Know? So you thought to yourself, they might as well do the real work. Yeah. You know. And um. You know, I started um. I started, like, just doing things different. Like, I don't even know. I can't. It's hard to explain. Like, compare like compare your first day in. Like, your your your, your routine schedule, what that would be the first Well, I would, I would definitely, like, let to... more things slide. You know, I would. I won't be out there as much. In other words, when I say out there, I won't be going into the yard. And mingling just with everyone, I, you know, I used to just, I became more reserved and sticking to myself and focusing on me and me trying to get out. How much do they control of your day-to-days when you're in there, though? Well, in the max, they control literally everything. Um, in the medium, it's more, it's more freedom doesn't really matter how much they control it's still up to you you know to decide what you want to do you know if you want to continue to be in the mix and getting in trouble it doesn't matter where you at did you ever feel like there was anything that was like any type of injustice in there because you know that 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 gets spoken a lot of course like that you feel like there's just the way they even treat you in there like of course it's just you know but um being in prison, you know, we have a saying in there, you know, we're part of the, the living dead. Because basically society turns their back on you. Oh, he's a criminal. He doesn't deserve nothing. But I tell people this all the time. You expect a person. Let, let's not even say a person. You expect a criminal when he's done with prison to come home 
and be a productive citizen. But we're not taking the time to fix what's wrong with the person. Instead, they make you worse. Because I was a bad person. Yeah, granted, I did some horrible things in the streets. When I went into prison, I turned 10 times worse. Because you're not dealing with your mental. It's just like... No, not only that. I thought I was badass. I thought I was, you know, a gangster. You go in there. There's always someone bigger and better than you. So, you know, you got to turn it up a little a notch or two. You know, you got to be on their level so they could see like, oh shit, you know, this motherfucker's really about it. You know, I I tell people all the time, like, nah, well, like some of my friends that, that were with me, they know, they, some stories, I, I, I've done told some of my enemies, listen, you guys want to go home. I'm used to, excuse my language, beating my meat. You know, beating off. I don't care about going home to pussy. I'm, I, I was, I grew up in prison. I don't have a problem staying here. That's the mentality that you used to have. That's the mentality I had. Not because I wanted to, but I had to because of my environment. So I had to adapt to every environment, every prison I was in. And how many did you end up getting <sighs> transferred to? Oof. Because that is, is an, an adjustment in itself. Um, probably like around 10. Wow. And you and you served them uh, how many years? I served 12 years. 12 in years. So you basically a teenager. 15, came home at 27. That's a grown-ass man, but still, it's 27. Tell me about that. Like when you found out that you were going to... When I found out I was coming home, I broke down crying because I knew then that this is it. I don't have to walk around with a knife no more. That very same day, I, my knife, I gave it to one of my friends and said, take this. I don't want it. You literally had a knife. Right? Yeah, of course. You have to. Yeah. I had to. I'm the minority. I'm what they consider, oh, he's a big homie. So if they stab me, you know, they get they get points for that. So, so every I, day you thinking that you might Every day that. is wartime for me. There wasn't a day that wasn't wartime for me. Any day, visiting room, you name it. So you felt like a sigh of relief. Of course. That's why I broke down crying. Because that's it. It was over for me. So once I found out, I had like 30 days, 35 days to, you know, for parole to contact my family, get the house situated. You know, they want to see where I'm going to. And um, as the days got shorter, I started feeling like like guilty. Like, I didn't want to go home. That's interesting that you that you um, describe it that way. Like a guilt. So, yeah. So, you started feeling like guilt? I started feeling 
guilty. I was, I was depressed. Not because I was coming home. You know, you would, you know, and you would think that, wow, this, you know, you would be excited. Forget it, you know. But it's not always like that. I only knew prison. I was, I became a man in prison. And um, some of my my brothers, I'm leaving them behind. Oh, so that was the guilt. So yeah, that was the guilt. They're still going through war. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm gonna be home. Did you ever feel like that? Like why me, and 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 not them, or like? No, I used to feel like why not us. Us. Why not us? And how did they feel about hearing? We all wasn't together, so as you know, word travels fast in prison. Yeah. At the point when I was in prison, there was still like almost seventy prisons in New York State. There's a lot less now, you know. But um, word travels, and um. You know, they're happy, of course. They're happy. They're happy. I wasn't. Because I'm leaving my my brothers behind. I'm not going to be around to defend them. So you start worrying about them as well. Of course. Of course. Because this was your family. This is your family. Yeah. That you develop. Yeah. So, you know, once I came home, of course I was institutionalized. So it was like a shock coming back out here because I can yeah. only imagine like when you went in at 15, you come out at 27, it's totally different Yeah, now. of course. Um, you know, cell phones wasn't really popular. Um, they had the, the Nextel, the, not the Nextel, the, the Motorola, the, Nokia, the oh, Motorola, Nokia, the big yeah. one. Uh-huh. Um, Nextel wasn't even out. Mm-hmm. So when I came home, I seen my little sister's phone. Well, she was like, oh, you know, here, you know, I was like, what is that? She was like, oh, it's my phone. I was like, th- th- that's a phone? Flat screen? Where, where are the buttons at? She's like, no, there's no buttons no more. And I was like, wow. You How know? about like, did you go back to the block? Like, yeah, the next I- day. The next day, I passed. I passed through the block I grew up on, 99th Street, 41st, and um, I recognized it. But it so much has changed. Yeah, 12 years. And did it feel like you remembered everybody? Like, did people change to you? Like, was your memory different? Because you know, you yeah, you, you, you know, from, like people, a whole new world. Yeah. Um. You know, it it was a blessing to see some of my old friends, some of the the young kids that seen me while they was growing up, and um, it was also a blessing to 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 hear that because of my my mistakes, my poor choices, made them. Make the right choice. So that was a blessing. 
you know. So that not to go back a little bit, um, that's what I mean about destroying your community. Because maybe, you know, Cover would have seen like, oh, uh, you know, Chris is a uh, he made it into the you know MOB, let's say whatever. Let me follow his footsteps. But by him seeing me go to prison, you know, maybe. I'm not saying 100% sure, but maybe that's what drove him into, you know what, I'm a, you know, he's a, he's a stand-up dude, he's a respectable dude in the neighborhood. Let me follow that guy. Let me follow his lead. Yeah. Because the problem is when, in the inner city, when you grow up, whatever you see, you think that's the norm. I know kids from Long Island. They've never seen a shootout before. That's not normal to them. You ask a kid from some of the worst neighborhoods in New York, and that's normal to them. They think everywhere outside of New York City is like that, and it's not. So you said that when you came back, you were definitely institutionalized. Like... Yeah, of course. Um, How was it, like, coming back and having to now... It was hard. It was hard because um, you want to do the right thing. You want to make your family proud. Because everyone, instead of everyone wishing your success, everyone's just waiting for your downfall. So it could be like, oh, you see, he's back in prison. But that's the problem with us Hispanics, blacks. We don't have that we don't have that type of support. Yeah. Where we could set you up for 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 success. Instead, everyone's, you know, sitting back and waiting for your downfall. So at first, when I came home, of course, you know, I was depressed. You know, I left a lot of, you know, my friends behind. I couldn't find a job. No one wanted to hire me. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to do the right thing. And no one's going to give me a chance. I don't know. You know, you just feel like, wow, I know I'm better than probably half their employees. I know I'll work harder than all of them. So at first, I had to, you know, put my pride aside. And um, I had to work with the Mexicans. Let's just say, you know, Mexicans, the South Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you will see them standing in the corner on, what is that, 108? Yeah, 108 under the train station in Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. I will go early in the morning, and I'll stand right there with them. I'll go to Home Depot, and I'll stand outside. Whoever need a help, I'm here to work. But not everyone is going to do that. That's what I was just going to say. Not everybody's going to... Not everyone. I met my son's my son's mother. She got me into construction. And little by little my you know, my life started changing. You know, I got into the union. Yeah. Started driving trucks. And it just went uphill from there. But like you if you have to say like not like you said, everybody's not gonna have, you know, 
that will to wanna change their situation so it's like i sometimes feel like that's rather unfair that when you have been incarcerated and then they they give you the opportunity to be out how there is like you know for lack of a better word like a support to be able to make a living for yourself because not everybody has people to come home to no well you have i tell i, I tell people how it is man you got options you could either fuck up again and go back to prison or tough it out out here and find a way because there's there's a million avenues there's a million ways where you could find a good decent job where you could survive in New York so you never felt like I've heard people say before like oh I just rather go back like, of course I've heard people say that you never but you, that never you know, no, that never... I mean, the only reason why I would think that is because I missed the, people you left my, the family I left in there. Not because I was having a bi- bad day out in society. No. Mm-hmm. No. The only time that I would miss being in prison, it was because I left my family inside there. Other than that, I didn't miss it. You still will appreciate being out here with struggles yeah. any day over of that. Of course. Of course. And now, as far as your family in there, like... Well, you know, I'm glad that almost all of them are home. You know, some, they're still in there. You know, I'm trying to help them get out as far as with lawyers and things like that. Um, But, um... I'm more valuable to them out here than in there. And that's one thing that I learned as, you know, time went on. I'm more valuable to them out here, not in there. Because now out here, I could, you know, send them a package, send them money for commissary, accept their calls. Not everybody could pick up the phone in there and call anybody. Yeah. Now, everybody, you know... At some point or another, things about their life and had like certain shit happen in their life, and everybody likes to say shit happens for a reason. And there's other people that re- have regrets or people feel like I wish that never happened. Now, in your whole story, if you were had to surmise it, what was what, what do you think would be the reason why you had to go through this in your life, like? What was the lesson? Wow, it's hard to answer that because um, because of the people that I've hurt. You know, the family that I've destroyed. Um, I don't, you know, this is steering towards like being religious. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, too strong into religion. But, um, that's tough to answer because I'm just, did, you know, they, did I'm, it ever make you feel like, okay, like this gave me some type of different perspective and purpose because if this wouldn't have happened to me or did you ever feel like, no, it definitely made me a better man. That's 100% sure. It made me a better man. Um, I really care about others feelings. You know, at one point in life, I didn't care about anyone's feelings. 
Like I said, I wanted everyone to feel the same pain I was feeling. Now it's just, you know, I strive to be literally the perfect man. It's hard to, but I definitely strive every day to be like the perfect man. Like even how like how you conduct yourself outside, yeah, like you always sure. feel like you want to be straight sure. and narrow. I try to help as many people as I can because of all the damage that I've done. So I feel my job is to try to help as many people as I can. Whether it's giving someone a hot meal, you know, giving people like my spare clothes, whatever, whatever it is. You know, that's what makes me happy. Like, all right, you know, I I did something good. So how would you sum it up? Like, who are you today now? Like, after all is said and done, you having to be 12 years, you know, who away from I your today? family. Well, I'm a hardworking man, a loving father, big brother, little brother, you know, a son. I, I'm... I'm a great man. Yeah, I'm a, you can say that you're proud of. Yeah, for what, sure. I'm proud of, of who I become. I'm proud of um, all the obstacles I've overcome. It's just, it's made me stronger, you know, going through what I went through. And what would you have to say to those that are, like, still in the situation that you were just in? There's, there's more than to the hood. It's um it's easy to do bad and it's hard to do good. So if you good at committing crimes, maybe you maybe you should switch it up and try to do good. You know, challenge yourself. That's what I tell people, that's what I tell myself. Challenge yourself. Do you ever feel like your temper resurfaces? I that's it's very hard for that to Or now you have like a more level head yeah, and it's it, like for you, you to <laughs> even get me to scream at you is gonna take, you know my son is pretty good at that. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I don't really scream at it though. But um nah I'm 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 cool. It, you're gonna have to like almost put me in a corner for me to try to even defend myself. Because I know where violence leads. And it's not pretty. Because, so you know, everyone, no one wins. There is no winner. There is none. Everyone loses. When you choose violence is the way that you yeah. see it. Everyone loses. Now, what do you think is it that you want to leave behind? Like, now, you said moving forward, all you've been trying to do is just rectify your wrongs in a way of, like, helping people. That's what you feel. That makes you happy. That's what you're trying to do moving forward. What is it that you're trying to leave behind at the end of the day? After all is said and done. Um, If they're going to remember Chris, how they're remembering Chris by, would you rather him be... Nah, they they're gonna have to say he that was a that was a smart and strong man. You know what I'm saying? Cause doing the easy thing, I'm gonna be labeled as uh he was just a knucklehead, you know, in and out of prison. But um 
Nah, from here on out, man, it's, it's just, you know, positive. And now how do you feel about Corona coming back into and seeing everybody grown? You, I know you hang out with them still. Yeah, They're still part a, of your life. Like, it's a, how it's do a you... blessing, man, to see the little kids all grown. <laughs> they um some are still around the same height. <laughs> but um yeah, it's a blessing, man, because um I spoke to one not too long ago and he told me that he would think about me. Anytime that he thought about doing something bad, that he would think about me personally. And like, damn, wow. Chris is still in there. It's been all these years and he's still in there. And that feels good at least. Yeah, no, that that, that yeah. That made me feel good because in the back of my head, I thought like, damn, man, all these kids that seen me grow up, you know, the ones that got in trouble, maybe it's because of me. I always used to say, if I could save one, I did my job. And I know one for sure that that he I saved because he would think like, fuck, you know, I don't I don't want to go through what he went through. So now it's like it feels like it's full circle. Because then you come out of like what you've been through and you see that somebody could have taken that route. Yeah. Yeah. And a full circle in a positive way, at least for positive. some. Yeah, for some. Yeah. I'm going to give you an example. When I was going down the wrong path, um, I had people tell me, listen, man, you need to change. You need to change, man. It doesn't matter. The person is going to have to want to change. You could grab all those little kids that are into gangs and tell them, listen, you have to change. You cannot keep doing what you're doing. You're going to end up in prison. They're not going to listen to you. They have to go through that life-changing experience. And then that's when they, they are faced with the decision whether they're going to want to change or whether they're going to want to continue to gangbang. So that's why I'm, I just, in that aspect, I'm a little more reserved as far as going out, you know, trying to talk to kids and whatnot. Mm-hmm. First, I want to make sure my son's future mm-hmm. is, is somewhat set. You know, I got to make sure that, you know, he doesn't, in other words, I want him to live in a house. I don't want him to, you know, grow up in an apartment and whatnot. Now, I like to end the episodes telling my guests to give, you know, the audience, whether it be some last words or any type of advice that you feel is that you want to give lasting words that has stuck with you, that has helped you in any of the moments. Wow. There's so many, but... Um yeah, like I said, is um for those that are involved in the streets, challenge yourself. You know, like I said, it's easy to do bad. It's easy to not wake up, you know, wake up whenever you want, go sell drugs, go rob, whatever, you know what I'm saying, is whatever's your forte, whatever, you know, you're good at. Mm-hmm. Try to challenge yourself. And, and being a better man. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And for those that, like, have chosen that lifestyle, like, gangbanging and stuff, like, it is possible for you to 
live yeah. a, a nah, it's a respectable um, life if you choose of to. Of course, of course. Look, man, I tell people, man, you, if that's what you chose to do for the rest of your life, cool. You know, just accept the consequences behind it. You know, don't don't turn into. I'm not gonna mention his name because I don't want to give him no type of um recognition. But that rapper that ended up telling on all his friends, mm-hmm. we all know who we're talking about. But um, don't turn into him. You know, um, if you live in that life, live by the rules. Plain and simple. If not, don't do it at all. Don't do it at all. Become an average Joe. It's um less costly. And I'm not talking about money-wise. Um, but if you chose that life and you, you know, hey, you know, um, just be ready to, you know, face the consequences. It's simple. And for those who try to ch- turn it around and be like, for those that want to change, you have to be honest with yourself, man. You can't talk that talk and not, you know, walk it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to change? I right, change. It's simple. It's very simple. People say, oh, there is no way out of gangs. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. And one thing I definitely want to say, don't judge a person, please, because... They've been incarcerated. You know, it doesn't mean that they're they're animals. You know, at least get to know the person before you even try to judge them. You know, give the person a chance. That was one problem I faced, you know, being back in society. Everyone would judge me right away. And it's... It's not fair Because a lot of us are really trying to do the right thing And want to do the right thing Which I feel like that's a powerful way to end the episode Because like that's something that I like to say Like we are not like our past mistakes Like if we continue to be judged of our mistakes Then we're never going to be able to change We're never going to be able to improve If you keep holding that over a person's head And in order you know to access that growth we gotta be given the opportunity yeah and if you're like shut down from the get it makes it difficult yes it does it makes it extremely difficult well I wanna thank you for coming thank you for the invite and for sharing your story it was hella interesting to hear your perspective and where you came from and it's actually very inspiring you know thank you to hear it to see you in front of me like you look like a stand-up guy you're communicating (laughs) verbally so i want to thank you for coming thank you thank you for listening thank you for tuning in i hope everybody's doing well and like i always say god bless and i'll catch you in the next one